Hey all, it's Danny. And I am really excited because we have something special for you. Normally, the Soul Stories podcast contains interviews with different leaders. This episode, however, will be a narrative-driven podcast. Think This American Life. And it's a heavy one. Elijah McLean died at the hands of the Aurora Police Department in August of 2019. His death sparked a national movement, a movement that is the central focus of this episode. And you're going to hear from some surprise guests, as well as the central figures driving that movement. It's my pleasure to present to you what has taken multiple months of work. And now I'll pass it on to the host of this episode, Chelsea Ochoa. The murder of George Floyd hit the news in the summer of 2020. The story echoed so many that we've already heard, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey, and was so infuriating that masses of people in Denver and across the entire country exploded out of their quarantined houses in protest. In Denver, the police responded with force. I was there among the crowd. Cops getting away with excessive violence was all too common a story. But I was surprised to see the entire police force, under official orders, responding so aggressively. We're at the Colorado Capitol and they just started firing. That's Danny Mazur and I on the first night of protests. Are you not also mad that a man was unjustly murdered? Does that not also bother you? I know you can hear me. The Denver police quickly learned that their response generated even more outrage. It was like pouring fuel on a fire. People were not backing down. The whole thing was a PR disaster for the department. And under direction from the city, the police presence at demonstrations, along with tear gassing and pepper bullets, all died down after about a week. But just as it felt like the dust was settling in early July, the death of Elijah McLean resurfaced. Elijah was a young man from Aurora, Colorado, who was senselessly murdered after an encounter with police in August of 2019. There was a vigil planned, a violin vigil to honor the fact that Elijah was a violinist. I decided to go, expecting a moment of serenity and collective mourning. But it was more intense than I had ever expected. Much more intense. Little did I know that this demonstration would spark a nationwide movement on its own. It was so much more than a vigil. But don't just take it from me. Also among the crowd was Tiffany Briggs, a mother who brought her 15-year-old daughter and a friend to play violin at the gathering. It, it was pretty intense from the moment we arrived, to be perfectly honest with you. But we also decided it was worth continuing to see what was going to happen because we personally couldn't imagine that a vigil of music players would be affected. And the from what we could see, the crowds of musicians were starting to gather away from where the protesters were. 
She says it was intense because a line of riot gear police had formed on the edge of the demonstration. Tiffany eyed them worriedly. She wasn't sure what was going to happen, and she feared for her daughter's safety. And then things escalated fast. But where it got really uh, disturbing, and I don't care to experience it again, is when the riot police started actually coming out. Because they came out adjacent where the musicians were, and it happened right as the girls started to walk up to the stage. This is an unlawful assembly. You are subject to arrest or the dispersal of chemical agents. A crowd of protesters tried to shield the musicians. Tiffany's daughter wasn't the only kid there. There were tons of families in the crowd. that there were protesters and still protests still happening and protesters gathered you know off behind that but that had nothing to do with the vigil so how the two got intermixed i think was gross negligence on the part of the police to be honest with you because the police were undiscerning even though there might have been two separate groups the protest and the vigil they saw all the demonstrators the same people who needed to be dispersed. The police started firing. Clouds of tear gas filled the air. Later, in a public statement, the Aurora Police Department would say that they were using pepper spray and not tear gas. But there were many eyewitnesses, including myself, as well as video that disproved that. Any of us can tell you that it was pure chaos. Families like Tiffany's ran for cover. And right as the mother searched for safety, a violinist from Colorado named Jeff Hughes approached her. And he asked the girls, and he, he said, did you come here to play? And they said, uh, yeah, that they had. And he's like, please don't leave. He says, um, you're going to get to play, I promise. And he said, you just stay here right next to the truck. And if it gets really bad, I want you to get in back and I'll, and I'll get you out of here. So all this chaos is erupting and he's starting to play. And he wasn't playing classical music. It was popular tunes. There was this moment of dissonance and confusion in the crowd as people were deciding if they should leave. I particularly remember one little black girl shouting at the cops, I ain't scared of you, let's go, as her mother tried to usher her out of the crowd. Seeing that child act so boldly in front of the police was, sadly, terrifying. Meanwhile, the string players tried to create calm with their music. The two musicians leading the charge were Ashanti Floyd and Lee England Jr. Both are nationally renowned violinists. Each has eye-popping resumes that include slews of TV appearances and award nominations, including Grammy Awards. And I'd later learn, Ashanti and Lee flew into Colorado from Atlanta and New York City, respectively. They were essential in organizing the vigil and in orchestrating that moment of dissonance by combating the aggression of the police with the beauty of their music. In a phone call, the musicians gave me the backstory. Flyer went up on a Tuesday, uh, and I had heard about it, and I was like, hey, I reached out to my friend 
who was in Denver who said, um, you know, this is what's going on. And I was like, you know, it, it called to me and I was like, yo, who's organizing it? And she was like, well, let me find out. So Wednesday, she found out who organized it. And I had a conversation with her and I was like, you know what, I'm going. That's Lee England Jr. The flyer he's referring to was a post on social media. And he says that once he committed to playing at the violin vigil in Colorado, he had to come to grips with how tense it could be. I experienced, uh, you know, a bit of like, you know, it, are you really going in the heart of this? Like, are you really getting ready to go into do battle with the police? Is that really what you're doing? But it was already too late. I mean, I was, the answer was clearly yes. It just, it literally just came together piece by piece. Uh, I mean, literally like hours before, we just came up with how it was gonna look. He met up with Ashanti at Denver's airport. We saw it a click like, oh yeah, this is about to be a blizzard. You know, mm-hmm. with each other, we both had fire in us. They drove straight from the airport to Aurora, stopping for a brief jam session in preparation for the event. Their creative connection was immediate. They felt that something important was about to happen, especially when they arrived at the vigil and found hundreds of people gathered. But just as they were about to play, the police arrived. Uh, And they were pulling up in a space where I'm just like, yo, what are they getting ready to do? When the police closed in with tear gas, Lee and Ashanti decided that the best thing they could do was take control of the tone with their music. After we got started, there was nothing that was gonna stop us. And people weren't scared anymore for some reason. Yeah, after Amazing Grace, I mean, it was like everybody was just glued in. It didn't matter what was happening around us then. But it wasn't just the musicians and the protesters in Aurora that were glued in. After that night, similar vigils popped up across the country. They came like rain in a forest fire. We are here to honor, to celebrate the life of Elijah McLean. From Portland to New York, many Americans were learning about Elijah McLean through this distinct demonstration. And many, myself included, had never seen anything quite like it. The violin vigils seemed to represent something larger, something profound. The experience of the music that night felt like healing, a type of magic. But what is it exactly? What role does music play in these demonstrations? What do these vigils tell us about protests in 2020? And how might we draw on their lessons going forward? I'm setting out to explore these questions and more. But first, we need to pull back a bit. While the vigils have sparked their own nationwide movement, it sometimes feels like the person, Elijah McClain, gets lost in all of this. And I think it's important to know who he was. At demonstrations and in the media, family members have painted a picture of Elijah McLean for those who never got to know him. Elijah was a giver. 
Um, he was a light worker. Um, he wanted other people to feel good about themselves, so he did everything he could to feel good about himself. He accomplished a lot of things in his young life, you know, before his his life was snuffed out by the killers that took it. And the sad part is that there was other people that he would have helped. He was the epitome of pure. How he was a talented artist, introverted, but extremely loyal. How he spent time playing violin for cats at animal shelters. How he focused on his passions of drawing, music, and family. And how generous and outgoing a person he was. Happy super late birthday. Nice. Wait, really? No, I was, I was really? like, I was like, no way, this is a luau party. <laughs> there you go. That was Elijah being surprised by his family members on his birthday. He seemed like he had such a presence. But then, it was all cut short on August 30th of 2019. 23-year-old Elijah McLean was out buying iced tea when he was stopped by three officers after someone had called 911 claiming McLean was wearing a ski mask and acting weird, quote, waving his arms around. The officers closed in on Elijah, who responded with alarm. Hey, stop right there. Stop. 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 I have a right to stop you because you're being suspicious. Well, okay. Turn around. No, Turn around. Turn around. Stop. Stop tensing up, dude. Stop tensing up, bro. I am an introvert. Please respect the boundaries that I am speaking. Stop. Stop. I'm going home. Relax or I'm going to have to change this situation. The situation changed. Horrifically. A medic gave McLean ketamine to sedate him. McLean was taken to the hospital. Three days later, he was pronounced brain dead. Much of this information has only come to light in the year after the incident. But the evidence points towards murder. There is no sign of Elijah acting aggressively. No sign of violence on his part. What we do know is that a perfectly healthy young man left to go to a convenience store and never returned home. His death was not natural. The only difference with George Floyd is that there was no video evidence of Elijah's encounter with police, at least not initially. But once that was out, more and more people found out about Elijah McLean and demanded something be done about his death. And here's where we return to the violin vigil. Perhaps now you can understand not just why this event was so important, but also why, in the face of such tragedy, the fact that the Aurora Police Department showed up at this young man's vigil and then sprayed attendees with tear gas was so deeply disrespectful. On first instinct, the Aurora Police Department defended itself, releasing body cam footage of a few protesters throwing items and knocking over a barricade near the police department building. Stay back! Stay back! But the aggressive approach by police, targeting not just the more rowdy protesters, but hundreds gathered at the nearby violin vigil, generated condemnation. After the public outcry, APD's then interim police chief, Vanessa Williams, made a concession. She acknowledges that APD could have done a better job communicating with the protesters. However, she remained steadfast 
in ultimately blaming the demonstrators. I was trying to protect um, their right to free speech and uh, who didn't do it the right way were those agitators that were arming themselves, that were putting on helmets and gas masks and were throwing rocks at my officers. They're what, they're, they didn't do it the right way. It's hard to know if Chief Williams believed what she was saying or why her department continued to lie about stuff like using tear gas. But other officials in Aurora knew they had a PR disaster on their hands and tried to make amends. Both Lee England Jr. and Ashanti Floyd received a phone call from the city of Aurora apologizing. Lee wasn't having it. Yeah, so it was, it was kind of upsetting, you know what I'm saying? Not, not kind of, it was upsetting that they had the nerve to call us as if we were going to somehow make it right for them or make it mm -hmm. okay for them. Like, nah. Ashanti chimed in. Well, Lee and I are influencers. We have a big reach. It was very strategical, and we saw that. But more important than the artists having a big reach was the feeling and a sense of possibility they helped to produce through that vigil. City officials in Aurora must have felt it too, which is perhaps why they scrambled to get in touch with Lee and Ashanti. Looking back, Ashanti says, People are using it as framework to create something for themselves. Truth. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, and it has a major impact, you know, and I'm like, wow. I just keep saying, wow, wow. I know Lee and I said that for days after the visit. Like, I'm still there, bro. I'm still there. I am too. And what we provided in Aurora was a healing that when you provide a healing, you're, you're able to have a conversation. Lee agrees. We can't necessarily come up with a solution if we're in a reactive state and so giving people an opportunity to just breathe and, and see that they're not alone and see that there are various ways to protest gives us an opportunity to uh get people into action i feel like as a as a as a melanated person uh it was just us you know but now that the whole world sees what's going on like it's a global movement like this isn't just you know, a few people or just one race of people that have an issue with what's going on. This is everybody at this point, you know? Case in point, Tiffany Briggs. We asked this white suburban mom if, had she known that things were going to go down the way they did, would she still have taken her daughter to the vigil? She didn't hesitate to say yes. This was about something bigger. One thing that I let people know first is how wonderful and beautiful the people of the city are, how much they they care. You know, that's one thing that I really got to see during the protests. It was a really beautiful thing. All of which sheds light on why the city called Lee and Ashanti, two key orchestrators of the movement. But both musicians say the city missed the point. You calling me, why don't you call a family, you know? Why don't you ask them what can be done because... I'm not the one that's being affected. Yeah, I think you caught the wrong number. You should be calling family. Calling the family. Those words resonated with me. Because after all, who has suffered from Elijah's murder the most? I knew one thing. If the city of Aurora wasn't going to contact the McLean family, it was even more important that I try.
yeah, when we arrived, it, it was it was an awesome environment. Everybody was, there was people sitting around. There was a group of people playing their, their um, violins. The voice you just heard is that of Dina McLean, Elijah's cousin. She and a few other members of the extended McLean family, who you'll hear in a moment, were generous enough to spend an hour on Zoom with me, even amongst all of the other national press requests they were receiving. To bring things full circle, I thought it would be helpful to hear the family's experience of the vigil and what they make of how the movement was grown. Dina says that she was wowed by all the people gathering on the lawn with their violins. But just as I already described, there was tension from the get-go. Dina noticed the fraught situation and tried to prevent it from escalating. I was with one of my nephews also, and he went to them, and he was really aggressive, and I stopped him, I said, no, because you don't know his story. You know, all cops are not bad cops, so you can't treat all of them bad. And he sat there, and he literally had a conversation with this cop, and it, it went really well. They warned them not to go across the gate, Somehow they went across the gate and that's when they started throwing the tear gas. But do you think, Dina, do you think the tear gas was necessary? That's Doris Lee, Elijah's aunt. No, absolutely not. No. They was not moving. They was playing. And if you was going to go ahead and throw your bombs or whatever, they was still playing. They did not move. And that, that's Elijah. That's his strength. And, and not strength as in pushing three men off of him. That's just mentally, physically knowing that there was a whole bunch inside of him that the world deserved to see. Not this way. Not this way. After all, we can't forget the larger purpose of this vigil. To bring justice for Elijah. But what does justice look like? I asked the McLean family about that. According to Doris Lee... We want him fired for murdering our relative. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. She was talking about one of the police officers who confronted Elijah on the street. He didn't get fired for murdering my nephew. He got fired for accepting a video. She's referring to how Officer Jason Rosenblatt responded with the words, ha ha, when other APD officers sent him a picture mocking Elijah's death and reenacting a chokehold near Elijah's memorial. Another one of Elijah's cousins, Keisha Mosley, added, And this is just these officers are showing what they are used to doing. This is why they, they can't refrain from doing it, because they've done it for so long without repercussion. So they, it, it, they become used to it. And unless we stand up and we continue to fight and we have got to be consistent, I'll continue to say it. We have got to be consistent and not stop. Elijah was murdered. You know, it, it's gotten to a point where I don't feel protected. I should feel at peace or some sort of comfort when I'm driving down the street. And this it is it, it, the whole 360. We knew it was happening, but when it actually hits home, when it's actually in your family, if you are on alert, I mean, and, and you on edge, I stay on edge, but I'm not gonna stop fighting for my little cousin. We need peace officers and we need de-escalation. We need a de-escalation department. So That's we right. must do something differently in order that people, uh, people of color are not dying unarmed people of color are not dying 
at the hands of people that really don't care. And right. some who may just be white supremacists right in those forces. But how do we create that change? Dina and later Doris had some ideas. We, we have to go above and beyond the protests. The protests are amazing. They, they're, they're great. They're great. But we got to do more than that. Everybody needs to go vote. Everybody who can. Not just vote, but educate yourself about voting and about why local elections are so important. Because there yeah. are people that are being um, elected locally that make decisions about your life and about the money that comes into your community. Back to Dina. Our voices are so low, and when they're heard, it's angry, or it's anger against each other. Because we don't know how to speak up to the people that's here to hurt us, and we think that ourselves are our worst enemies, when we're not. We're not. And, and to me, I feel like our kids need to be at stuff like this because they're the next generations that's coming up. These are the ones that need to learn the difference between right and wrong. You know what I'm saying? They need to learn how to stand up for themselves. And that's one thing that I feel like Elijah's problem was. He stood up for himself and he knew his rights. And as a lot of us black people, we're scared to go for our rights. We're scared to speak up for ourselves because of what happened to Elijah. But that's changed. The McLeans are speaking up. The protests that began with George Floyd's murder gave them strength. The hope that this time, something might actually happen. Sure enough, Elijah's murder became part of a nationwide call for tangible reform. And at least in his case, even though murder charges haven't been filed against any APD officers, Five separate investigations have been reopened or opened into his death, including at the federal, state, and city levels. Results of those are still pending. So still, the McLean family waits for answers, for real justice. But just as Elijah cared for others, the McLean's comments to me about voting and the big picture implications of this moment show how they're able to envision a better future for all of us. And indeed, there was something about Elijah's violin vigil that seemed to touch on something wider and deeper. In my heart, I felt that he was at peace when violinists from all over the country merged um, onto the, uh, the lawn of Aurora to, to play for him. Um, that, that vigil to me is when I started to feel that he felt peace because people felt where his heart was. People felt where his soul was and, and, and people that it was in that same profession and they came to honor him. And I think at that point is what I felt that he had some peace and that was just a personal feeling of mine. This moment wasn't for the police. It wasn't for the government. The music that was played that night was for Elijah and his family and for all the black people that are still sick and tired of being sick and tired. It was for all of us that were worn out from a summer of pain and rage. After months of marching in the streets and face-offs with the police, the music came like a wave of healing that night. 
I don't think that we realized how badly we needed to receive that healing until it happened. Standing among the crowd, I felt a sense of awe. In the face of all of this injustice and tragedy, I looked around and saw how many people were there for each other, holding space for each other, being with each other as we wept. The summer of 2020 will be forever marked by these protests and largely by the violence associated with them. Already, just a few months later as I record this, protests are becoming increasingly violent in places like Portland. People with guns are literally killing others across the political divide in places like Kenosha. Protesters are being snatched away in unmarked vans. It can be hard to see what's really happening at the ground level of these protests. Politicians spin these stories for the sake of election outcomes. And the stories that do make it to the media are usually the ones that are the most sensational. Even in this case, it's likely the vigil for Elijah never would have gotten the attention it deserved had the APD not overreacted like it did. But on the night of Elijah McLean's vigil, there was a sense of unity that overpowered any actions by the cops in SWAT gear. Maybe music is what can bring us back to ourselves. Maybe it could be a route for us to fight for injustice and simultaneously find healing and peace because that's what this vigil was. At a time when we had been witnesses to all of the horrors of human behavior, it seemed fitting that a young man like Elijah, who played violin for kittens at animal shelters, was able to bring out the compassionate humanity in all of us. It was soothing. Mm-hmm. When I, when, like, I listened to violin, I listened to jazz. Never in my life had I been so soaking back listening to these instruments and just to hear it, it it sends some type of sensation through my spine and I believe it has a lot to do with Elijah and him now finally resting he's not in peace but he's resting right now finally after all these months and I and and I feel like that's why I went so hard because I could not get his cries out of my head from the moment it happened In spite of the opposition from the police department that targeted Elijah McLean, a community, music, and the spirit of this young man came together in a moment of transcendence. These vigils created a space for healing that our country needed. It was an experience that I, and anyone else who has been to one of Elijah's violin vigils around the country, will never forget, especially his family. That vigil to me, is when I started to feel that he felt peace because people felt where his heart was. You guys are gonna make me start crying. And, and, and that's what I feel like. Now my tears are tears of joy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because finally, finally his story is out. I'm not the only one who has to hear his cry every night. Our families are, are not the only ones excuse me you guys who have to hear his cry everyone now is hearing it
Hey, it's Danny again. Thanks for listening to this special episode of the Soul Stories Podcast. As I mentioned before, this episode was the product of multiple months of work between myself, Chelsea, and a Denver journalist, Chris Walker, who was the wizard behind this podcast. A huge thank you as well to Tiffany Briggs, Shanti Floyd, Lee England Jr., and the McLean family. You were extremely generous in your time, illuminating this movement and honoring Elijah. If you like what you heard, leave a rating and or a review wherever you get podcasts. It helps amplify the show and the voices of our guests. Thanks and see you next time. This is Danny signing off.